0: Well, it is pet chat Time and uh, we welcome, as always, uh, Cheryl Shaw, who's all broached up again. Cheryl, hello. Hello, Mark. (laughs) And uh, Dr David Tabbert, who's ready to answer those uh, big-time vet questions today.
1: I'll do the big time, I'll do the little time.
0: (laughs) The big dogs, little dogs. Yeah. Now, Cheryl, you'll be making us all play a game of Animal Guess Who today.
2: Yeah, I thought I might talk about a breed of dog, but, you know, just instead of saying what it is, I thought I'd get you to guess... What dog do you think of when you think of a wolf, a cat, a horse, and a monkey?
0: Oh. Cheryl decided today that it's, it's games time here hmm. at Pet Chat, and it is time Oops. to play Guess Who? Animal
1: Guess Who? It's a puzzle and a riddle.
0: And we've got no clue. David, a minute ago you said we've narrowed Cheryl's dog breed down to about 500 <laughs> possible. All right, Cheryl, over to
2: you. Okay, I'll get you out of your misery. It's the Basenji.
1: Oh, that was my next
2: guess. Oh, yes, of course <laughs> it was. Now, the Basenji is a really interesting dog. It, it certainly is. I would it, never
0: have guessed this. I'd still be here next Tuesday, no chance.
2: Oh, well, well, David did come up with two things, that mm. it was a sight and a scent hound. So that is pretty cr- pretty clever going there. So it is an unusual breed. Mm. They're they're often called other things as well as the Basenji. So the Congo Terrier is one of the names that it comes up under. It also is known as the African Barkless Dog and the Leaping Dog. So there's Ah. a few different names for them. And the reasons are the Barkless Dog comes from the fact that these dogs don't have a normal larynx. So they actually make a different sound. So instead of barking, Like most dogs do, they actually make a yodeling sound.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I got to hear. I got to look. I got to check this out.
2: Yeah, so the yodel can sometimes sound like it's laughing, like a chortle. It's a rather an interesting sound that they make. But they're a really good pet because they don't sort of carry on at the neighbours like a lot of dogs do. Wow. So that's that, that's that interesting thing. And so that's where it comes from, the wolf, one of the things that I was saying. The second thing with it coming from um, sounding or being like the traits of a wolf is that they don't come into season all of the time. So they only come into season once a year. So that's another wolf characteristic.
1: A vet, a vet should have known that. Uh, uh, well. A good, a good vet. Well, what will I say? Well, a, good, a, good a good vet. should have known that, yeah.
0: <laughs> so,
2: So yeah, it's rather... When's ra-
1: the, what week's the good vet on? <laughs>
2: <laughs> this um, week. <laughs> The other thing about them, um, why we talked about them looking or acting traits of a monkey, is they love to climb. And, David, you were right there. Mm -hmm. They do love to climb trees. So if you're thinking about having a Basenji at home, you're going to need to make sure that you've got high fences and that they can't climb up over trees or other things as well. But they love sitting in trees. So that's that little monkey trait that they've got. The other trait that I mentioned was being like a cat. And, David, you said that's affection, but no... this, in this case, it's they don't like to be dirty. They are really insidiously clean dogs. So they are constantly using their tongue like a cat to clean themselves. They sound like diva dogs. Diva dogs. What's <laughs> yes. a diva dog? Well, I don't now.
0: want to get my feet dirty. <laughs> and... How many divas you know are yodelers or the other way around?
2: <laughs> That's right. Spends a lot of time in the Swiss, Swiss Alps. I
1: don't want to offend the yodelers, but I've heard they're divas. <laughs> Fair point. Mm.
2: Now, as um, as I was saying with them, they, they do like to clean themselves, but they despise water. So they're not going to be a dog that wants to go out in the rain. They won't want to come and visit me to have a bath. So they're a dog that's really... Um, pretty easy to maintain as a home pet. They are very loyal to their owners. They tend to pick one person that's their companion, but they will tolerate the rest of the family. But they're just a super dog. They really come in a lot of range of colours, so their colourings are really varied. But one of the interesting things about them is that as puppies, they've got really big um, wrinkles on their face. So they always look rather concerned dogs, but they're really alert. They're fantastic dogs. Their coat is easy to maintain. It's short-haired The other interesting thing about them is their tail It actually either is a single or sometimes a double curl And their tail always sits up over their back But to one side So they've sort of got a little funny couple of They've got
0: some some panache is what they've got Yeah, Mm -hmm. they're just
2: so interesting
1: What what, what about the horse?
2: Okay, so the horse comes in When they... um, Run or they, yes. their gait is just like a horse that's trotting.
1: Oh, they pace. Yes,
2: like... yes. So their movement is really interesting. So anybody that does gait analysis, which I like to do, it's yes. a really good one to um to observe. So L- that's learning
1: learning heaps here, Mark.
0: And just the the name of the dog again, because I've never I, and obviously when I look it up in a minute, I'll go, oh, I've seen yeah. those dogs, but I'm not sure of the name of them.
2: Yeah, um, Besenji. Besenji is mm. is uh, and they came from the um, from Africa. So they're a really native dog. They were used back in the day to hunt, and so um, they would use usually they would go through the long grasses and when they were this is where the leaping dog comes from through the the long grass they would actually jump up and leap out of the grass and that's how their their owners or their the hunters would know where they were and also they used to use a little um a gourd or a piece of wood with a bell in or something in it to make a noise so that they could understand where the dog was because in those grasses they can't Mm. see where they are but yeah they're an interesting dog a native dog and when they first took them to england this is interesting too because they didn't have the antibodies to help them with um, um distemper so the early days they would die and it was took until 1938 that they actually had a litter that survived wow. and then they took that litter to um Crufts and it caused absolute hysteria because they had to call in um, guards to protect the, the people that were there against touching the dogs because it was just this most unusual breed that had finally um, had a breeding program that had worked. That's amazing. Hmm.
0: I tell you what, you learn something by listening to Pet Chat, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, Great dog.
1: You do for the first half. (laughs) You do for the first half. All right. No, come on. Give me a call. All right. David wants
0: uh, to answer your pet questions today on 49216216. Cheryl, thank you for bringing that. I'm not going to say new breed, but certainly no. a breed that doesn't get a lot of uh, fanfare a lot, yeah. too.
2: Well, actually, back in 1980, they actually had to bring some new lines out of Africa to keep that line going nicely.
1: Oh, how, big, how big are they?
2: Oh, they're a medium-sized dog. They're yeah. not a very big dog. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
1: yeah. All
2: right. The the hunters used to drape them around their necks when they were hunting. So you can imagine if you could put a dog around your neck, it's not going to be terribly big. A Besenji coat. A, oh, don't go there. Oh, too
1: late. <laughs> <laughs> he he did. He did. <laughs>
0: Just a live one, yes. yes. Keep you warm. Right. That's what I meant. You'll keep it warm. To a New RFM as we continue pet chat this afternoon, and a good afternoon, Diane. You're reminding your son's uh, Australian bulldog. What's going on, Diane?
3: Oh well, I'll, I'll just I'll put you in the picture. We uh, his his master took him to the vet about a month ago, and he had tests done. The dog had tests done and everything because he was he was urinating blood, and all the tests came back like he hasn't got cancer or anything like that, and they put him on a a course of antibiotics because they said he had some kind of um, urinary tract infection. So that was $1,600 later. The dog is still peeing almost claret colour.
1: That doesn't sound too good.
3: Um, No, it doesn't. I don't know what to do.
1: So how old is the dog? He's
3: 10, and he's he's a big boy. He's He's a big boy.
1: Um so there's a couple of things that we see uh, mm. pa- particularly in bulldogs mm. um they can get a thing called a urethral prolapse which can bleed and mm. that basically means that the tube that runs from the bladder to the outside can actually evert and it gets traumatized and so they can bleed constantly mm. okay um it may not always be visible so mm. um I'm not sure whether or not the vet might have checked that um The other thing then is, depending on whatever the tests that have been done, because usually for something like uh, passing blood in the urine, um, Mm. if I saw a dog the first time with that sort of thing, I would want to get a urine sample and determine if it's pure blood, is it uh, broken down, red blood cells, is it infection with white blood cells in there. Um, They're all kind of things that we can determine from a urine Mm.
3: test. Apparently they did all these tests, and like I said, it was probably about sixteen hundred dollars later mm. um, after all the tests. But and they did put him on antib- a course of antibiotics, and we were feeding him sardines and stuff like that, and yeah. special powders and stuff, and changed his food. But he's still his his urine is still like a a bright red, almost like claret.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that often happens is we will. Look for common things. So when we we start investigating, we will say, okay, well, these are the things that most commonly cause this problem. Let's look for those. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we're seeing signs of an infection, then obviously antibiotics might be uh, an appropriate treatment. But Mm -hmm. it is possible to get a secondary infection, which means the primary cause of the bleeding is still there and you've got an infection on top of that and the antibiotics Mm -hmm. can treat that, but you've still got... The primary cause. So mm. I, I think um, it, this is a circumstance where you're going to have to get back to the vet. Um, it depends on the imaging. That would be the next thing I'd be looking at. And they probably have done some ultrasounds, I'd say. Mm, they've done just about everything, I think. Yeah. Well, there's there's more, more that can be done because I do mm. know that in some circumstances we will do things like, for instance, uh, CT or... Um, advanced ultrasound using contrast agents um, Mm. because obviously we want to find where the problem is occurring. Is it in the kidney? Is it in the uh, bladder? Is it in the urethra? Once we localise it, then we often need to get a tissue sample to Mm -hmm. diagnose what's going on. So that's where um, probably just talking to them about the ultrasound, does that need to be repeated? And as I said, I'm assuming that's been done Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, blood in the urine, it, if it's left, obviously, you know, you're concerned enough to give us a call, Mm. um, but it can actually cause long-term damage, let alone, you know, the primary cause not being attended to. And Mm. the the sort of things we would be worried about would be things like kidney stones, bladder stones, um, tumors, uh, they're going to be the most likely things that Mm. are happening here. So yeah. So best best to get back and see if we can find an answer for you.
0: Okay, all the best with that, Diane, as we continue now. Alan at Lambton. Alan, you've got a male Maltese Terrier. What's going on there?
4: Well, it's a rescue dog. I got him when he was seven-year-old. He's now 13-year-old. He, whenever I'd take him to the vet or take him for a groom, he'd get a shake-up, you know, but I could understand that. He was probably uh, anticipating what was going to happen. But, uh, now, if he's sitting on the lounge with us for no reason at all, he's not cold, he just shakes,, mm. and it goes on for a little while, and then he just settles down
1: now, does this happen when he's asleep at all? No,
4: not really, no most times he's asleep, he's dreaming or something, and he starts yapping, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. and their little feet go and... bit like the rest <laughs> of
0: us, bit like the rest of us, Alan, to be honest,
1: <laughs> I think so. So um, it's interesting because Maltese Terriers and certainly small fluffy dogs and particularly white dogs do, do have an, um, a condition they can get. Usually it's younger dogs where it's oh. called white shaker disease. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is possible. We do see tremor disorders of a lot of different types, but certainly these little dogs get um, various forms of these. Most of them we worry that they've got some sort of meningitis. Oh yeah. Um but the some of them are actually related to nerve signals in the muscle. Okay. Oh, so um they are responsive to treatment, that's one thing, but mm-hmm. I've always found them a little bit difficult to diagnose because um you know, you can test for certain things and particularly if we're worried about meningitis, that can be pretty serious. Okay. Um and that sometimes this is how it shows up, just as this trembling all the time.
4: But so, then again, If he's 13-year-old and he he eats well uh, and he gets plenty of exercise, uh, he seems to be in pretty good health. It's just that now and again he gets this quiver up and uh, it looks for all the world like you've got got him frozen, he's cold. But then he he settles down and he's okay after
1: that. Does he ever do that quiver when he's walking? Or is it only when he's resting?
4: Only when he's resting. Yeah,
1: okay. I still think it's worth getting checked out. Oftentimes, as I said, it may be fairly simple with the treatment and he could, you know, help him to cope with a lot of circumstances. The other thing I didn't mention before was behaviour-related and anxiety kind of symptoms. And in those circumstances, then there are some really helpful treatments. Um, And, yeah, 13's good, but um, let's get him out to 18 or so. And uh, so he's still got a few years in him.
4: Yeah, well, I may be sick, he might outdo me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Long way to go. Some
0: of them will. All right, thank you very much, Alan. If you have a question for the gang at uh, Pet Chat this afternoon, of course, uh, Dr David's here and Cheryl over there still playing animal bingo, so she'll be (laughs) ready as well. In the meanwhile, David, you would like to talk about blood tests today.
1: I had to go and get a blood test the other week. Okay. And... um, still waiting for the results okay
0: because you don't That's... look you don't look that great so there's obviously something going on there <laughs> hopefully the test will come back okay there is just a health check mark
1: <laughs> okay, okay. whoops <laughs> all right
0: please go ahead
1: but <laughs> it actually drew my mind to mm. what happens you know we were we need to do blood tests on our pets sometimes to help sure. us diagnose what's going on And a couple of things jump out at me. First of all, I think a lot of the time we do get results back pretty quickly. I mean, our um, veterinary pathology labs are less crowded or they're not getting as much work as the human labs are. But essentially, the tests are pretty much the same. The machines have to be adjusted. So it's not like we can send a dog sample off to a human lab because the red blood cells look different and cat red blood cells look different. And sometimes we even see birds and their red blood cells, are, if, if they were put through a human machine, it would cause all sorts of problems because uh, uh, bird red blood cells have a nucleus, whereas human, dog, and cat do not have a cell nucleus in them. So um, wow, very interesting. few little differences there. But um, when we say, I'll see a dog, and um, I might say, look, we need to do some blood tests. And it kind of sounds very off the cuff, but it does involve a fair kind of process that I think it's worth just pulling back the curtain a little bit for our listeners and understanding what does that actually mean.
0: All right, so the decision's been made by the, the vet that we need to do a blood test. Uh, what, what happens here?
1: Right, well, the first thing is we've got to get the blood
0: yeah, no, I reckon that's has got to be the hardest part because the do did the, did the animals they kind of always have a sense that something bad's going to happen, or have you got it sort of? Well, you got a system.
1: Uh, I think the answer to that is yes and yes. I think they do sense mm. because first of all, they're very often taken away from their owners. Um, we don't always know how an animal is going to react when we actually put a needle in their skin, and we don't want the owners to be bitten. I've had people say, "Oh, I'll hold him for you," and. And we go no, well, actually, there's a particular way that we will hold them, so that everybody is safe.
0: So generally, do we? Does this happen in the room with the owners, or, or the owners of a different room, or you just take them and not have them hold them?
1: I have done uh, blood Both. blood draws with the owner in the room, mm. um, but if it's the first time we've ever done that, I think I would take them out of the room.
0: And is that so that we that at least in the animals one they don't associate? A bad thing happening with their owner present, or or is there just another reason that I'm not thinking of? No,
1: but that's a well, I I hadn't thought of that, but I think that's a very good point. It's
0: animal psychology, yes, so up here for thinking, David.
1: Well, I, I've noticed. So here's the thing: we know really what tends to happen is um, some people don't like needles, mm. and they don't like blood, and so I don't want a person falling over and hitting their head when I've got their animal in my arms or we're drawing blood. Oh, okay. So I didn't also need to make sure hmm. they're safe as well. The other thing is that the way that we restrain them, their pet, they may think that we're hurting them, but we're not. We're trained to actually hold them in a particular way. So we take the blood out of the leg mostly, sometimes out of the neck, out of the jugular vein in the neck. And it really just depends on what test we want to do and the size of the animal and how accessible this is
0: and i'm guessing it's fair to say that there is not one animal that actually is cool with the process once the needle's in
1: um i think we do get a few most most animals are actually fairly tolerant really yeah because, I mean,
0: with a person, yeah. you can explain what's happening. I mean, and well. then we don't like it, but we, we get it. But the animal, you, you've taken them away from their own. And we're in another room, you've got some sort of special device on us. You're holding us a different way, and now you've stabbed me with a I'm needle. Going, I'll give you a little <laughs> tip.
1: Sometimes we use food treats. Ah, oh, there
0: you go. Yeah.
1: Um, depends, again, on the blood test. Like, with cats, we can actually do uh, wrap them up in a towel. Like, we call it a kitty burrito. They're wrapped up. and then I haven't seen that on the menu. <laughs> that just exposes, yeah. you know, whichever part we need. Mm. So we've got our blood sample. We have to make sure it goes into uh, a particular tube, and there's all different ones based on the type of test that we want to do. So we might want to look at the cells in the blood. Then it's got to go into what we call an EDTA tube. Um, and for some reason, the people who manufacture these, they keep changing the color of the tube. So it's like it was red, and then it's pink, and then it's purple, which is very annoying. Um, that's a bit disconcerting
0: because I mean, it's... if you're doing something on the fly, last month we've always used a red tube, and now to do that process, it's blue. Well, we always check. That's yeah, I know, but you know, errors always can always check.
1: Yes, that's that's mm. correct. Mm. Um, we always draw a little bit more blood than what we might need to, and then we, if we want to look at biochemistry, so that means we're looking at things like kidney function and liver function and um, you know pancreas and things like that then we have to collect the blood differently we take those samples we uh, in our circumstance we run them through some machines that are separate in the clinic so we're looking at two different things and then it takes somewhere between five and 15 minutes and we get results So it can happen very, very quickly. And because I work in emergency primarily, that's obviously the circumstance where we need those things to come back. We need to get the results really quickly. However, sometimes if we're really suspicious about a blood sample, we might need a specialist pathologist to actually look at the red blood cells, the white blood cells, and we need to then send that away. So that's kind of a bit more like the human scenario where, you know, we send the blood away and it'll take a few days to come back. All right,
0: thanks, David, for letting us behind the curtain there of how it all works. And um, the thing that surprised me, and Cheryl, you may have a different thought, but I would have thought that most animals would not be cool once the needle made its first appearance. But Dave tells us otherwise. Yeah.
2: And some dogs are great when they're having their um, giving blood. You know, we need blood transfusions. Some dogs are just so accepting of that.
1: Yeah. I've had dogs hold their leg up. No way. Yeah. That, really? Yeah. Yeah. Diabetic dogs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're really good at it because yeah. they're getting blood tests done all the time.
0: They just know that this is happening. It's so, like, okay, here you go. Yeah, here you go. Chapman. Where's my treat? <laughs> <laughs> You're you, fair enough. <clears throat> all right. G'day, uh, Carmel from Camo. Your kelpie dog is doing a lot of digging. What's going on?
3: Um. Look, I'm not sure. He's only two years old. Yep. And um, he's doing a lot of digging.
1: Is this just um, in the backyard? Uh,
3: Yes, and the vet has told him that it's bugs in the grass. Um, But I think he's lacking something in vitamins. I don't know. I'm a bit... Yeah, I'm not real sure. He's getting punished for a big time, like getting smacked. And I'm concerned because um, I don't want to see the dog hurt.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, we... You need to stop smacking the dog. It's not yeah. going. It's not going to do anything. Yeah,
3: I right. know that. But how do you tell that? How do you tell that to you know the
1: owners? You say the <laughs> well, vet. The vet said, "Don't smack the dog." Um, the reason is that the dog is doing this behavior, and I think it is purely going to be behavioral. It's a Kelpie dog. These are very intelligent dogs. They have a huge amount of energy. They want to run around all day. Um, I always say when people have a Kelpie or a Border Collie, I say, how many sheep have you got? And they're like, what do you mean? I go, they're a herding dog.
0: No, they just need that That's they, something to do. Yeah.
1: I'm i am just not a big fan of them in sitting in a backyard with nothing to do. So what's he going to do? Well, the ground looks pretty interesting. There's nice smells down there. I'll dig holes. It's activity. You know, I'm feeling the ground. So it's really going to be a behavioural problem, and what we need to do is give this dog a whole lot of stuff, uh, activities and and items. And we we constantly talk about getting the the kongs, these indestructible. Though every time I say that, people ring up and say my dog destroyed the gong. Um, but indestructible, uh, these indestructible rubber toys, and you can stuff them with food, wrap them in Glad wrap, put them in the freezer. You get them out every morning, so you have one on the go and one in the freezer get them out every morning, give them to the dog. They'll spend all day, you know, licking and chewing on it and they'll be getting a reward because there's food in there. If there's particular areas where the dog is digging, then I usually will advise people just to fence that off. But the problem is that this is the human problem too. It's really the dog's response to the human problem of not giving them stuff to do, all right? Um, It's kind of like people being locked up in quarantine with nothing to do and they're talking about it for two weeks and it's like the most psychologically distressing thing. And we're doing this to dogs. So he's going to dig and smacking the dog. He He's not smart enough to connect the smack to the activity. Usually what happens is you call the dog over and then people are smacking the dog. Well, the dog thinks, I just got smacked for coming to you. So... What message does that send? Yeah, again, yeah.
0: again, well, it seems to be the theme today. The dog is not a human. You can't explain to it the reason, not that we're condoning the discipline, but you you can't explain to the dog that the reason you're being disciplined is because of the activity. It doesn't know.
1: Mark, you can't explain it to adults. <laughs> half can't, the time, you, really can't. you know no. that's why people end up going back to court with criminal activity because they didn't get the lesson the first time. A dog's not going to get that lesson. But this is why I'm saying the problem has to come back to what are we doing for the dog to keep them occupied Um, and making sure they get plenty of exercise. They've got to be walked, right, twice a day if possible. And this is a big impost because, but that's the thing about having a dog, particularly a Kelpie, probably one of the most intelligent dogs and one of the most energetic. So if we can try and fill up his day and fill his yard with activities, he'll stop digging. He's also two, by the way. He's like at the peak of his peak of the energy
0: energy stuff, yeah. Yeah,
1: I've got to get out and do stuff. And Martin at
0: Bennett's Green, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your rescue chihuahua? What's going on there?
4: Uh, well, we've had him now for about 3 months and we found out that he has a thing
0: called Cushing's disease, which is okay, we can live with it, but uh, can you sort of maybe give us a bit more about what yeah. we should be doing or not doing?
1: How, how old's your little one? Oh, I think he's about yeah. 10. Yeah, okay. Is he on medication? No, he's not. We, we went to the vet when we first got him and we revised that, okay, it's going to be palliative care and everything will be okay. And he's a, he's a happy little bloke at the moment. He, he just eats a lot, obviously, and drinks. Yeah, yes, that's right. So Cushing's disease is the name that's been, and it's actually from the human term. So the correct term is hyperadrenocorticism. Okay. I, I, st- I stumbled over that. Well done, David. I've got to say. No. Well done. Hy- on that. Well, hyper. I wanted to emphasise is that it's increased cortisol production from the adre- okay. from the adrenal gland, which sits next to the kidney, and it's actually for a little dog, two hour. The problem is that um, this would be about a 90% chance that the problem is in a gland in his brain called the pituitary. Right. So the okay. Pituitary secretes too much of a hormone, which stimulates the adrenal glands. And so normally, like we've all got this, but normally there's a feedback loop, um, which, you know, once you secrete too much cortisol, your pituitary uh, pituitary gland switches off. But in in his case, it just keeps working, and so the adrenal glands just keep pumping out cortisol. So this then has the effect of all the things that extra cortisol would do, and that is it'll make them eat more, Yep. It'll, yep. It'll, exactly. Yeah, yep. he's ravenous. It makes him drink more. Well, actually, yep. it do, it doesn't make him drink more. It makes him urinate more, and then they drink to catch up. Okay. Um, and so you've always got to make sure there's water available. Um, the other thing yeah. it does is that it actually affects his immune system. It th- will cause his skin to change. Okay. Oh. It'll actually. It cause- has.
0: Yeah, it has already. He's he's got a little bit of a bald spot on his back, but the hair will never grow back. Apparently.
1: Yeah, well, not without treatment, that's okay. that's for sure. Um, the other thing it can do is, because a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, that's the worst it does, it can actually cause blood clots as okay. well. Okay. So over time, it, it could actually be quite dangerous and certainly affects their lifestyle. I've seen dogs that just sit up all night wanting to eat all night. So yeah, whether yeah. whether or not you treat it really is going to come back to that discussion with the vet. There are various treatments available some people don't treat it for various reasons, and I don't think that's terrible. It's just, you know, you just got to weigh that up. So,
0: All right. Thank you very much, and good luck with uh, the uh, dog there for you, Martin. And, uh, David, thank you so much, Dr. David Tappert, for your no input you today, Petcha. Cheryl, show And, Cheryl, the only thing we didn't look at is your brooch today, so what have you got on quickly? It's it was, always a, a, it or, was a wolf. wolf. Yep. Yeah part of your little game that you were playing earlier. a A wolf that looks like a horse, a cat, and a monkey. (laughs) The (laughs) Buzengi. All right. That sounds good. Thanks, guys. That's Pet Chat for another week. Back next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business, and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.